Well, good morning, everyone. Well, as a church, we are now currently exploring what it means to be a real church by studying various church issues and doctrines through Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And if you are new to our church, you can catch up on the previous sermons, uh, sermon videos, summaries, and discussion questions on our church website. But today, I will be talking about sex, specifically the act of sexual intercourse. I will not be referring to gender or sexual orientation, so I'll be talking about sex. But first, let me read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 20. We will be reading from the English Standard Version. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 20. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body, with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from the Lord? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 20. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The city of Corinth was a sex-obsessed city. According to scholars such as William Barclay and David Pryor, the greatest building in Corinth was a temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. So the, the practice of prostitution and various sex activities were prevalent in the city. Likewise, today, we are currently living in a hyper-sexualized culture in which digital technology has made it easier than ever for young people to assess pornography and to hook up with others through mobile apps. The, the Western culture in which we are heavily influenced by is obsessed with sex. Sex is everywhere. Sex dominates our music, our movies, Netflix, advertisements, conversations, social media, and more. Movies and films, they display sex as the high expression of love through the way sex, the, the romance often seems to pick with a sexual intercourse, even if the, the couples are unmarried. Parents today are concerned that our children are exposed to sex at increasingly younger ages. 
And so my friends, we do need to talk about sex in this city and in this church. Many of us struggle with the perversions of sex, such as lust and masturbation. I struggle with some of these sexual temptations as well. Unfortunately, for various reasons, many of us are silent about it. For some of us, it is shameful. For others, we no longer believe. We no longer believe that the gospel can redeem us from our sexual struggles. Or we are ignorant of the rich insights that God has about sex. Nonetheless, staying silent does not help. Our silence in church and in our homes results in a failure to understand sexual holiness and brokenness and its impact on our faith. And so, question one, if the answer is yes, nod your head. If your answer is no, shake your head, okay? I want to see, I don't... uh, So if you happen to fall asleep, the answer is yes, okay? (laughs) So question one, does God care who I sleep with? Nodding, yes. Easy question, right? God does care who I sleep with. Question two, why? Why does God care who I sleep with? Why would God be interested about who I sleep with? While trying to search for answers on my own, I'd like to give due credit to the following teachers in my my journey. They are Albert Moller, who who wrote an article, The Bible on Sex. Secondly, Tim Keller with his wife, Kathy Keller, who devoted an entire chapter on sex in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. And Sam Elbury, whose book title is The Question. I would like to frame for today's, question, uh, today's message. So why does God care who I sleep with? There are five reasons. Firstly, God cares who I sleep with because sex is God's idea for building a family. Sex is God's gift. God is for sex. He's not against it. In fact, God is the one who created us with sexual organs. He has intended sex to be enjoyed within the covenant of marriage between a husband and a wife. When God made mankind in His image, and He instructed Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter one and twenty-eight, uh, twenty-one, uh, Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-eight, to be fruitful and multiply, He had meant for them to also have children. Right? Since we can't have children without sexual intercourse, the act of sex is God's idea for us to fulfill our duty to multiply and reproduce children. Sam Elbury, he offers a good reason why sex matters greatly to God. I quote, If human life is sacred to God, then the process, that means sex here, then the process by which new human life is produced is also going to be sacred. You see that he says that sex is sacred. And that's how significant we human beings are. God cares about sex precisely because He cares about us. It matters because we do, end quote. And so my friends, God cares who I sleep with because He cares who we are building our families with and how we are building our families. Second second reason. Secondly, um, sex is God's idea for enjoying intimacy as a couple. The Bible, such as Song of Solomon, maybe some of you have never opened that chapter before, right? It contains many love poetry that celebrates sexual passion and pleasure. 
God not only allows sex within marriage, He strongly commands it in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 19, Proverbs 5, 19, husbands are encouraged to let their wives' breasts fill them with delight and be intoxicated by their sexual love. Wow, you may be squirming within, as I said that, and maybe you are uneasy. With, you're uneasy because of you're feeling uneasy because of the scripture I just read for you. But this sexual intimacy between married couples is pleasing to God. It is not a source of shame. Sex is intended to be a source of pleasure and shared intimacy between married couples. As husbands and wives, we are free to express love for each other, experience sexual pleasure and satisfaction. And so this physical union of sex is part, is a vital part of our marriage bond. I understand that some of us might not be married, but I want to mention these points so that you may think about them and hopefully appreciate holy sexual intimacy by the time you are married. The 2001 movie, A Beautiful Mind, uh, was a biographical film that dramatized the life of the mathematical genius, John Nash, portrayed by Russell Crowe. And there was a segment in the show where, where he meets an attractive woman at the bar. Although he was a brilliant mathematician, he is socially awkward in settings like this. He clearly, he clearly didn't know what to say. And so the attractive lady suggested to him, maybe you want to buy me a drink? Unfortunately for John Nash, he replied, and he said these words, I don't know what I'm required to say in order for you to have intercourse with me. But could we assume that I said all that? Essentially, we're talking about fluid exchange, right? As far as he is concerned, this is just a, a physical transaction. And so they can afford to dispense with the preamble and just agree to have sex. But this way of thinking is clearly wrong. Sex is not just physical. And John Nash discovered this the painful way. Because as soon as he suggests that sex is essentially fluid exchange, the woman slaps him in the face and walks out. Sex is more than just a fluid exchange. Sex is not a commodity to be transacted, but it's an expression of our devotion to one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, you will notice that Paul's instruction on sexual immorality had an abrupt mention of food, where he, said, where he wrote, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. This was because there were some Corinthians, they had a very cheap view of sex, where they argued that sex is just a bodily function, like, like eating. They are suggesting that sex is the natural way of satisfying a physical need. And that's how cheap, that's how cheap their view of sex is. That it is as natural as eating or maybe even peeing. And this is why Paul responds in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, with these words. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. And so you can see that Paul, for Paul, sex is a sacred act that looks back to Genesis where two persons become 
one flesh. Sex should be treated with reverence. Sex is more than, than just pleasure or fluid exchanged. As Christians, we place a high, premium, a high value on sexual pleasure. This is because, my friends, our husbands and our wives are not sexual objects given only for our pleasure and whim. Remember that. In fact, some, some teachers such as Timothy Keller and Sam Elbury, they've suggested that since our bodies belong to each other, specifically our spouse, God's design for sex includes sexual intercourse as a loving act, a loving act of giving ourselves completely to our spouse. Sex is a source of sexual gratification where we can offer, where we give, we offer to each other. And such forms of sexual intimacy is precious because husbands and wives are focused on the sexual satisfaction of their spouse, not, not ourselves, right? Sex is not about me. Right? I mean, turn to the person beside you and say, sex is not about me. The purpose is not what I can get, but what I can give to my beloved. Right? It is not what I can get. It is about what I can give to my beloved. That is true love. Ultimately, my priority is whether I'm giving my wife pleasure, where I'm pleasing my wife when we have sex. In such forms of, of sexual intimacy between married couples, we become more concerned about giving pleasure, not getting it. My priority moves from solely getting my personal sexual satisfaction to becoming more interested in whether my wife is enjoying sexual pleasure with me. In short, my greater sexual pleasure is the knowledge that my wife is, is enjoying sexual pleasure with me. How about you? Is your spouse enjoying sexual pleasure with you? The third reason, the third reason why God cares who we sleep with is because sex is a holy act. Sex is a holy union of a couple. And so my friends, how we treasure and protect sexual holiness is our act of worship. For example, our devotion to one another is an embodiment of our scriptural obedience to God as we protect sex for marriage. Sex is more than just an appetite that needs to be filled like a stomach. Sex is more than just a private matter to be enjoyed or a, a duty to reproduce. It is a holy act of union. Allow me to read Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 to 24 for you. So, while, uh, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his flesh, his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from men. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Genesis 2, 21-24 My friends, this passage shows us that through marriage and sex, the two become one flesh. The two become one flesh. Therefore, sex, my friends, is a literal part of the process by which the two become one flesh. When we come together in sexual union, it is a rejoining of the one flesh. 
that was separated at creation. It's a rejoining. And so this one flesh union in sex is more than a loud crescendo in romantic sexual experience. It is also the highest form of unity between a man and a woman in marriage. In fact, in his, in his book, First Corinthians for You, Andrew Wilson, he says this, sex is a physical, a physical seal, a physical seal of our commitment, a celebration of our union with and a surrender to one another. And so my friends, unlike premarital sex, sex within a marriage covenant is about giving, not taking. Sex before marriage and sex within uh, a marriage covenant, they are not the same thing. For example, for married couples who have made their marriage vows, our act of sex is a physical expression and we are reinforcing our marital vows. Unlike premarital sex, there's a huge difference in commitment and expression of love. It is more than just a difference in timing. Right? It is more than just a difference in timing. For sex within marriage, it is an act of lifelong self-giving. Sex outside of marriage is just a form of taking. For example, in premarital sex and extramarital sex, we are just getting sexual pleasure without giving anything actually. Sex outside of marriage, according to David Pryor, he says this, sex outside of marriage is intimacy without intention and communion without commitment. I repeat again, sex outside of marriage is intimacy without intention and, commun and communion without commitment. In fact, in fact, Timothy Keller affirms by saying this, say, pay attention to this, sex is necessary for the maintenance of the covenant. It is your covenant renewal service. That means, think of this, that means Tim Keller is saying that every time you have sex with your wife or husband, right, every time you have sex, you are having a covenant renewal service. And every sex act is supposed to be a uniting act. Paul insists that it is radically dissonant, jarring, right? Dissonant to give your body to someone whom you will not commit your entire, your whole life. End quote. And so my friends, in marriage, sex is a way of maintaining and deepening our marriage union as the years pass, even after our marriage, our marriage vows have been made. And this is why sex does not just involve some parts of our bodies, but various aspects of our bodies. My friends, when you sleep with someone, your body is making a promise whether you say it or not. And this is why sex for us Christians is not a superficial physical act. It is a holy act of love. It is promise-keeping. Through sex, there is a deepening union of our souls emotionally and psychologically it is a union of our souls as we trust God to be each other's companions for life until we are parted by death. Sex is a deep union of our souls. For those who are married, do you remember your marriage vows at the altar? Our spouses, my friends, are God's image bearers for us to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for poorer, sickness and in health to love and to cherish to death do us part.
This is our solemn vow. So let's do a quick recap. Why does God care who I sleep with? Firstly, sex is God's gift for child making. Secondly, sex is God's gift for love making. Thirdly, sex is God's gift for promise keeping. Fourthly, God cares who I sleep with because God cares about our sexual brokenness. As you can observe in in the Bible, sexual intimacy within the context of marriage is regarded in the Bible as good and celebrated. But there are also unholy sexual intimacy that we should avoid completely. In the right context of marriage, sex expresses and deepens a particular form of love. But in the wrong context, where sex is experienced outside of marriage, it can cause enormous pain and destruction. And this is why the Bible insists on sex only within the context of marriage. Within this, sex is a gift from God. In the wrong context, where sex is outside of marriage, sex becomes harmful. Unholy sexual intimacy happens when we engage in sexual intimacy impulsively, prematurely, and willfully. Let me elaborate. Impulsive sexual intimacy can happen when we have not been faithfully avoiding overstepping our boundaries, such as extramarital affairs. Premature sexual intimacy is premarital sex. Willful sexual intimacy can involve habitual sins that we keep indulging in, such as pornography and masturbation. My friends, God cares about us. God cares about the sexual brokenness that affects us because of these sexual sins. Sexual brokenness can happen in two ways. Firstly, sexual brokenness is the result of our sexual sin caused by our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. Secondly, sexual brokenness happens when we are the sexual victims, when we are the victims sinned against by others, such as molest or rape. According to Tremper Longman and Dan Allender in, in their book, God Loves Sex, they point to this simple reality. Every, every, every human being on this earth struggles with sexual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that are contrary to love and in conflict with the holiness of God. And so my friends here, we can either pretend that a few struggle with sexual problems that doesn't the rest of us, or my friends, or we can now openly acknowledge that all humanity is caught up in sexual wars that must be engaged if we are truly to be human. End quote. My friends, all of us are affected. Let's not stay silent anymore. We must deal with the issue of sexual brokenness among us in our community, especially in our small groups and especially in our discipleship bands. Finally, God cares who we sleep with because sexual holiness needs to be restored among us. My friends, when God calls us to be holy, just as He is holy, there is no exception clause for sexual sins. There are no exception clause for sexual sins. He expects us to live with sexual holiness and purity as well. So what do we do? if we have committed sexual sins. 
Well, this is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 11. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. My friends, some of us may be like the Corinthian, Corinthian Christians whose sins have been mentioned in this list. We may have been sexually immoral in the past. It could be premarital sex, pornography, masturbation, or any form of sexual perversion. But this is a matter of the past. Paul said, all of us, the thief, the drunkard, the sexually immoral and perverted have been washed. You have all been washed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was stripped naked. He was hung on the cross for the redemption of our lives. And this includes our sexual holiness. We have been sanctified and justified by Jesus. So now glorify God with our bodies. Some of us may, may remember Christian perfection is loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and, and of course, loving our neighbours as ourselves. And I believe this involves loving God with our own bodies as well. So this involves loving God with our own bodies as well. Our discipleship must involve the restoration of sexual holiness. This, in, this must include treasuring, and reserving God's gift of sex for marriage. Here Paul offers three simple guidance to glorify God with our bodies. Firstly, we are to flee from sexual immorality. Make good decisions to stay far away from sexual temptations. Perhaps you may also make yourself accountable to mature Christians or see a Christian counsellor. Secondly, we honour God by treasuring our bodies and relationships for God. If you are dating right now, you may risk wrestling with the issue of intimacy. Because God has made us to, to, to belong to a community, to love and be loved. We will experience cravings of, of which our sexual desires are only one of an intense craving of a much deeper desire to be complete in God. We need to remember, my friends, that it is only God who completes us. It is not being married it is not whether we have kids or not, or having a sexual experience. Only Christ, only Christ completes us. And when it comes to sexual intimacy, the truth is, many of us tend to think of only physical intimacy. Do you know that there are other forms of intimacy? One of the many ways you may honour God through your relationship could be by focusing on the other types of intimacy. For example, being emotionally intimate with another person is about connecting emotionally with one another. And it is what we mean when we say we have a heart-to-heart -heart talk. It is being transparent with your deepest feelings, fears, and, and thoughts. It involves feeling safe and not judged. And this is emotional intimacy. Social intimacy is the degree to which both of you share each other's interests and spend time together as a couple. What are, what are the things that you do together? Do you share quality time and are having fun? 
You know, you could even go and learn something together, such as learning to play the guitar. Intellectual intimacy refers to sharing your ideas, your opinions, and life's perspectives. It may even involve being, being open to, to learning or at least considering the other person's ideas. And this is where you may even hear someone say, Ah, you understand what I mean. We are talking along the same plane. And this is intellectual intimacy. Spiritual intimacy involves becoming companions in, one, in each other's spiritual journey, such as sharing, sharing with each other how your Christian beliefs are shaping your life. Finally, honor, we can honor God by, by offering our bodies as a temple of, of the Holy Spirit through a life of holiness and brokenness. Because God has, because God has redeemed us, has chosen our bodies as a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Our bodies, in that sense, is sacred space. Your bodies, my friends, is sacred space. Any sexual assault or misuse is a violation of God's sacred space. Your bodies are God's sacred space. My friends, God has not given us a spirit of fear. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love and self-discipline. And so we need to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit who will lead us to walk in the power of God, His steadfast love and His faithful self-discipline. My friends, our decisions and even the pace of our lives also affects the way we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. For example, our decision to obey God's Word in our daily Bible reading will shape our lives to honour Him. Our scriptural obedience makes our bodies more hospitable, more welcoming to the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and influence us. And so at this point, perhaps it would be good for us to take a moment to pause and look at your own temple. Right? Let's pause right now. Our bodies, if our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, will you now invite God to use your imagination to show how your temple for God looks like right now. And so let's take a few moments to take a few slow, deep breath. Breathe slowly, deeply. As you do that, let us also listen deeply to God. Allow your dialogue with Him to emerge. And allow me to now lead with this prayer. Heavenly Father, we invite you to speak to us and show us the reality of our lives, specifically your temple. Lord Jesus, we want to set aside our bodies as temple of the Holy Spirit. Show us if there are any sinful contamination in our lives that you want us to deal with. Lord, show us the sinful contamination in our lives. Lord, we want to make this temple holy. Lord, will you show us the state of our relationships and marriages? Is it pure? Or has it been contaminated 
by our selfishness. Lord, show us the state of our marriages and relationships. During this meditation, there may be people whose names or faces have appeared in your mind's eye. What is God saying about them? Consider if God is prompting you to pray for them or to speak to them. If you are single, will you consider how you may prayerfully take steps to live a life of holiness in your relationships and reserve sex for marriage? Perhaps you are married. Perhaps you have been ticking all the right boxes, staying faithful to your spouse. However, as you consider God's gift of sex as child-making, it is a painful struggle for both of you. Will you consider coming to the altar later after the service so that our pastors and staff may pray with you? Come, let us pray. Abba Father, we thank you for your gift of sex as we lift up our fellow Christians in our midst who struggle with sexual sin. Guide us so that we may glorify you with our bodies and find kindred souls who will spur us to keep walking in holiness. We pray for our young ones that they may know you and seek to honour you in their relationships and with their bodies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.